Hello, and welcome to episode 88 of the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. In 2021, episode 55 was the most downloaded podcast of the year. It was published July 18th. Because podcast listeners tend to scroll only so far back to find materials to listen to, I felt this episode was very worthy of a replay. Most of my podcasts are evergreen. One difference is that today, in the show notes, I do have an unlisted link to the raw YouTube video of this episode. This is great if you want to see the slides. For newer listeners, enjoy. For veteran listeners of the, of the podcast that have already heard this or watched the video in the community, you have the week off. Or you may want to listen again. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 55 of the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. For those of you that are here for the first time to listen to the podcast, welcome and thank you for giving it a look. I really appreciate it. And for those of you that are returning, thank you so much for your support. The podcast has been growing over time, and it's because of all of you. This episode is called Physician Micromarketing to Drive Sales in MedTech. And our guest to help us with this fascinating and surprising subject is Scott Alexander, the CEO of Gyrus Physician Micromarketing. The pandemic caused a tremendous amount of rethinking about how MedTech gains the interest and attention of prospects and gets them into the sales funnel. Micromarketing is a solution, and it is full of surprises. Do you know what digital platform is the most effective when targeting physicians? Is it LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, possibly even TikTok? In a few minutes, you will have the answer. Now, a comment on the pandemic. With the Delta variant reigning supreme in many countries and the Lambda variant gaining ground in South America, be very careful about how you view your marketing and sales activities in certain countries and, re and certain regions of the United States. These variants have governments and hospital systems very nervous, and so they're watching it carefully. One of the members of the MedTech Leaders community, a CEO from South Africa, told me that they were busy gaining sales momentum after the surges of early and late last year, only to have their sales efforts shut down by the latest surge. Now, speaking of the MedTech Leaders community, we now have a new entry-level member program called the Get Involved Plan. Right now, it is only $14 a year, and it does include a free trial. To learn more about it, you just go to medtechleaders.net. Again, that is medtechleaders.net. If you are a leader or you aspire to be a leader in MedTech, you'll enjoy this community. Now, in the show notes, I will have links to Scott's website and his LinkedIn profile. And if you like the program, please rate it, recommend it to a friend, and or subscribe if you haven't already. 
Now, let's meet up with Scott to learn more about how physician micromarketing can drive sales and help fill the sales funnel. Scott Alexander, it is great to have you on the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. Uh, thanks for taking time. Thanks, Ted. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. Well, this is a really interesting subject, and I'm fortunate enough to have talked to you several times about it, and you and I also participate together in the uh, MedTechSperts uh, webinar series. So I've gotten to learn a bit about what you're doing, and something that my listeners have heard from me many times is that in med tech, we're not really good at marketing. It's a sad truth, isn't it? Yeah. And, but this is a really unique way that you go about uh, marketing, which really is something that we need to embrace this particular area of market micro marketing. And also for the listeners, Scott has experience on the provider side. So he's been in the hospital system and he's been on the supplier side, and now he's providing a service to actually can provide a service to both. Um, so uh, this is, I think, quite, quite interesting. So tell us a little bit about more about who you are and what Gyrus Micromarketing is. Scott Alexander. I run a company called Gyrus uh, Micromarketing. Um, as Ted said, so I spent nine years at Medtronic Covidian in a variety of really upstream roles, so running incubator groups and that sort of thing, focusing on new technologies. Um, and then I spent four years at the Mercy Health System, you know, large Midwestern health system, uh, in a couple of variety, a couple of roles, uh, primarily innovation as well as uh, operating the commercial operations for the supply chain there. So seen a lot. And um, I kind of had this, this thing about uh, three years ago, I was working for Mercy, again, great organization, Medtronic, wonderful organization. I just had this epiphany where I realized that a lot of the technologies that we were talking about adopting, were there, basically there was like a traffic jam. And so we hadn't really seen adoption from the previous generation before we started to see the next generation of things coming in from uh, the med device world. And, and it hit me that healthcare innovation is fundamentally not an invention problem. It's more a communication problem. And so being a kind of a, a natural problem solver, I started looking at, well, what can you do differently? And it, and it really struck me that um, if you can figure out how to get into the hearts and minds of the adopters um, more quickly and more effectively, you can actually drive adoption of, of life-saving or life-improving technologies at a much faster rate. And, and so as we think about all these problems that we're trying to address in the healthcare industry, um, we have to do it differently, and that's where that's where we landed on micro marketing as being the the right approach. Um, we had, I'd, I'd had the the fortune of working for Chris Barry, who now runs Nuvasa, but previously was head of sales for uh, the division of Covidi that I worked for, and he basically had us focus on understanding the buying journey for healthcare products and services. And later worked for Chris Wagner uh, in the organization as well. Both both great leaders, and and so what we're doing now is leveraging a lot of the things that we had learned when I was at Medtronic in terms of how do you drive adoption of these innovative technologies, but just doing it for lots more companies. I mean, again, Medtronic's a wonderful company, but uh, there's a lot of people that could benefit from this new approach to marketing. 
And then a funny thing happened about, you know, a year and a half ago. There's a little thing called COVID that, that really dropped a, a bomb on how we've always done go-to-market strategy in the medical device, medical technologies uh, spaces. And so we've had to change. And it's really, uh, we've been fortunate, my team has been fortunate enough to be standing in the right spot with the technologies and the approaches that we've been using back for Medtronic. And, and we've been fortunate enough to be able to make that available for um, startups and companies that are looking to figure out the new way to market in in this this world that we get to live in now in terms of what access looks like and that sort of thing. Right. And so the traditional way that we're all used to is you have a product, you hand it off to a sales force, and they go out and start pushing it on, on the doctors, the hospital systems, the healthcare professionals, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. And the marketing yep. people were just gophers. They make brochures. Yeah. You know, they organize trade show booths, whatever it might be. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was what I did. So I launched, I was a part of Medtronic's diabetes business, and we launched an, an insulin pump in 55 countries. Yeah, I was a glorified brochure maker, and I made sure that we had product in stock. And that was that was really what, what marketing was. And like it or not, we just, that's not what marketing can be. If, if we said that that was what we did for marketing and we're in another industry, the automotive industry, or really anywhere else, they would, they'd look at you like, what is this, 1972? Like, that's not good enough. We have to be supporting the sales function with technology and, and approaches to dr- create more pull as opposed to, like you described, Ted, where people are going in, knocking on doors, and trying to have cold conversations to get people to start using medical products. Right. And I think there's been a couple other developments that you and I have talked about before, and that I think the smartphone is one of the biggest ones because I've been pre-COVID, I'd be in a doctor's office and you see the doctor leaning against the wall in between exam lanes going through his emails on his on his iPhone or his smartphone during the day. Yep. So, And the, the smartphones are so much quicker and more robust than they ever used to be. So it's really easy for somebody to consume material and investigate things, and they're doing it 24-7. A salesperson's only operating during a certain part of the day. Good marketing can be working for you 24-7. Yep. It's it's funny. Yeah, you bring that up. Um, I remember this was, again, back when I was at Medtronic, and we were looking at BioJourney Discovery. Um, I was with a rep, and we were in the ORs, and I saw that, you know, the the rep basically saw a doctor that uh, he wanted to talk to. And so he's like, come with me. And he literally grabs me and like yanks me down the hall. We sprint down the hallway to go see this. Uh, she's a female surgeon, UN surgeon. And um, he's like, Dr. Smith, hey, I want to show you the latest new product that we have. And he pulls it out of his bag and that sort of thing. And, you know, I was standing there watching the interaction. And this, this is a very successful rep, by the way. But, but it was interesting because you could see the doctor and she did not want to have that conversation. She was just looking at him like, Randy, come, like, I'm getting ready to go into surgery. I'm scrubbing in. Like, thanks. I, was, I appreciate you as a human being, but this is not the right time to be talking to me about a new technology. Um, and contrast that with, we had a client that we were working with. It was an overseas client. We were helping them build their presence in the United States in the cardiology space. And um, we were going to run digital campaigns. And so we were running campaigns on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. We were running some uh, banner ads and, and really just sort of brand awareness. And a funny thing happened. We were supposed to go live on a Thursday. When we do that, we usually like to turn the ads on the day before because there's a learning cycle in all these platforms. And so we turn them on uh, like 10 o'clock at night on that Wednesday night. 
um, thinking that, hey, well, we, you basically turn them on, they get approved, and then you turn them off, and then you turn them on when you have the kick, grand kickoff call. Well, funny thing happened was I woke up the next morning, and we had three cardiologists who had seen the ads. They'd been approved faster than what we normally see, and so they actually started running, and we had three cardiologists that had specifically asked for sales consultations that night, and those, those requests came in at 3 a.m. So huh. we, ha- we had to go to the client and be like, hey, by the way, here's what we typically do. We've never seen this happen before, but you know, Dr. Dr. Jones, Dr. Wilson, and Dr. Patel are all asking for you to give them a call today about tr- potentially trying the product. And so it, it absolutely speaks to the story that there are right times to talk to doctors or your, your customer, even if it's a non-clinician, right? There are right times and there are wrong times. And the reality is it's hard for you to show up. It's really awkward too if you show up in their living room and want to talk to them about the latest, greatest technology, but they are sitting down and they're on LinkedIn or they're on Facebook or they're reading journals. And that's when they're most receptive to learning about new technologies and new approaches to solving these kinds of problems. So why are you not standing there, digitally speaking, to be able to have a conversation with them when they're actually most receptive? That's that's the big question that we ask folks. Yeah. And not to beat this into the ground too much, but when you're watching a TV show at night, what are you doing during the advertisements? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, I'm flipping through my emails. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just, oh, I'll give it another look, you know, or I go to LinkedIn, who's left me a message or something. Okay, so yeah, let's, um, we had talked about, let me just look at my notes here. Um, we had talked about starting with the concept of a, of a case study just to describe a problem that a company brought to you or a challenge that a company brought to you. So let's just describe that. And then let's dig in into what micromarketing is all about. Cause I know you've got some slides. Yeah. So absolutely. And we'll come back to the case study at the, toward the end of the program. And we'll talk about what actions you took, what um, tactics you implemented to help, uh, help these people succeed. Okay. Yep. Exactly. All mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Absolutely. Far away. Um, so, the the case study that we have, we're going to talk about a um, a company in the cardiology space, and we won't get into specifically who the name of the company, but right. they had a product in the EKG space, innovative technology, really really cool stuff to be honest with you. And th- we selected them because the the challenge we're addressing for them is the same thing that we address for almost everybody, which is fundamentally how do you get how do you how do you build a robust pipeline of new sales opportunities and um, like that's what good marketing does and so what we what we were asked to do is to help them figure out it's an international company coming to the United States they had you know somebody here in the US and they were trying to figure out how do we how do we get bigger right how do we actually support a US based business and so what we did was we looked at who are they trying to target and basically built campaigns on a couple of platforms to to get in front of the right clinicians to um, to generate sales opportunities. Maybe I'll use that to segue into kind of the question that you asked, which is, what is micro marketing? Yes, uh, right. It's a long word, kind of a funny sounding funny sounding word. The reality is this: if we think about the products that we have, whether you're in cardiology, you're you're in urology, you're you you pick urology. Um, there's a pretty small group of people that are huge decision-making, have, have huge amounts of decision-making ability in their hands. 
And there are lots and lots and lots of people, right? The 330 million people in the United States, if you're a urology product, you really only need about 8,000 of those people to be raving fans of you. And then you've captured the entire market. So the traditional approaches of mass marketing, where you're reaching out to lots and lots of people and you're, you're trying to boil the ocean in terms of what your message is and, and that sort of thing, it doesn't apply in healthcare. Instead, what we need to be doing is we need to go and find that group of 8,000 urologists, really understand what are the value propositions that they have, what are the concerns that they have, and then we need to be building focused content about that. So that's kind of bucket number one is focused content. Bucket number two that you need to do is you need to literally figure out who these people are. Let's get their names. Let's get their email addresses. Let's get their phone numbers. Let's figure out how we get our content in front of them. And then you need to run uh, marketing campaigns to them in a way that is consistent, is you know, drives them through a funnel that makes it feel like it's, it's specifically tailored for the urologists or specifically tailored for your sports med docs or whoever your target audience is. One of the things that it is not, it is, is, it is not a cookie cutter approach where, you know, for example, if you have surgical products, you really don't want to come in and talk about, hey, you can use this for colorectal surgery or GYN surgery or you know, fill in the blank or fill in the blank or fill in the blank. Because if you're a colorectal surgeon, that doesn't feel like you're part of the club. So what micromarketing is doing is it's really trying to create a level of ubiquity, right? I see you everywhere and trust. I trust that you are part of the club that is, understands my needs and understands how to solve those needs in a way that I don't have to think about. So that's, that's really kind of the fundamental tenets of micromarketing. Okay. Um, did, yeah, did you so want to from, use any of those slides? or? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bring up some slides and we'll kind of talk through. So we're going we're gonna to talk through a couple of things. So number one, I'll just share my screen here. Right, so, so number one, I'm going to talk about one thing that's critically important. So if we think about the entire sales process overall, we've gone from this world of it's the push process of I have, a, I have you know, Randy the rep is super motivated and super hungry and he's going to beat down doors to get deals done. Like that's, that's all fine and good. And there's people that, you know, that's your style and that's, you know, that's okay. Uh, but what we're seeing is a massive shift. And we've seen this particularly sped up uh, since COVID that, people don't want to be pushed on anymore, right? They want to be pulled. They want to pull you towards them when you catch their attention and catch your in, their interest. And so we need to understand what is the buying journey for a urologist for a particular product or for a cardiologist who has, is interested in a new AKG for remote patient monitoring. So what we do is we go through, we need to characterize what's that process look like? What are the things they care about for the, what are the value propositions for my product from them? And then what are the objections that they have? And then we need to build assets towards that. And, and then what you do is um, you actually surround those folks. And so you know, we have a particular platform that does this, just kind of full disclosure. But so it starts off with you build your list. We understand that we're going after cardiologists. They care about X, Y, and Z. They're afraid of A, B, and C when it comes to adopting a new EKG. And so we put together uh, outreach campaigns. And when I talk about outreach campaigns, I mean, Email, I mean, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Google, you name the platforms. Really, wherever the people are, we want to be in front of them, both in terms of a professional setting as well as a personal setting. And, you know, Ted, this is one of the areas where people start to kind of raise the flag and like, well, hold on now. You're talking about advertising on Facebook for EKGs? And yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about because your audience is 
is checking Facebook when they're rounding on their patients at 3 a.m., right? And so you need to be there, and it's about being everywhere that allows you to create that level of awareness. Um, we were talking earlier about Kim Kardashian, right? And so I said, you and I both know who she is. I suspect everybody who's listening knows who Kim Kardashian is. And let's be honest, like, we have no reason to know who this woman is. Like, I've never met her. I'll never meet her. But, but we know her because we see her everywhere. And she's on the magazines at the grocery store. And you see her on Yahoo when you fire up your computer and start scrolling around the internet. You see her everywhere. She has a level of ubiquity. So as we think about what micromarketing is about is you want to create that level of knowledge. right? You, you want people to know you uh, and, and recognize you just like people recognize Kim Kardashian when they see a cartoon of her. But um, you don't need 330 million people to do that. You need 8,000 urologists or 30,000 cardiologists or whatever the case might be. And then you had your multi-billion dollar company. So we're building those lists. We're reaching out to them through a number of channels. And then we're ultimately driving them towards an outcome that we want to have. So maybe that's have a sales call. Maybe that's download this content about this latest feature that we have or this case study or whatever the case might be. But you're doing that. And then you're, you're using that to then inform the sales team of, hey, John Smith, you know, Dr. John Smith in Des Moines, Iowa, just downloaded this white paper. Whoever the rep is in Des Moines, Iowa, you should kill, call Dr. John Smith, right? You can set up automated sequences. And then kind of the final piece, and this is, this is a critical aspect of it, is the way that all of these, these channels work today, you can update the kind of content that you're putting in front of somebody, in front of John Smith, based on his interactions with, with that channel, right? So if somebody downloads a white paper off of LinkedIn, right? You can change what they see on LinkedIn. The thing that we found has really made a major difference is actually tying these various platforms together so that what they do on LinkedIn affects what they will see on Twitter and, you know, what they see on Facebook and so on and so forth. So there's a mentality that you, you need to think about sort of the psychology of the clinicians uh, or the, you know, the, the people who adopt the technologies to say, hey, look, if they see something and they engage with it, we may want to start putting out some testimonials, right, to start getting people interested and get them more comfortable with adoption. Or they, may, they downloaded a white paper about the financial impacts of X, Y, and Z. They may be interested in more of that. So let's, let's apply more things. So having that level of discernment um, about where are they in the, in the buying process allows you to build a lot of solutions to, to help make that process of them buying it easier. And and the final thing that I'll mention is as we think about the roles of sales versus marketing, like that's sort of the sibling rivalry that we've always seen in the industry, the pushback that we get from time to time is, well, what am I going to have the sales reps do now? And the reality is our sales reps can be exponentially more effective if they can actually see that John Smith is downloading this white paper and doing this over here and doing that over there. So that when they go in, they're not having to have those initial conversations about, hey, tell me about your practice. Tell me what you're, what you're interested in. They're actually able to have conversations that are really focal and really dialed into what Dr. John Smith cares about. So if he's been engaging in a lot of financially related material as it relates to remote patient monitoring, for example, I know as a rep, I can come in there and what I want to focus on is let's talk about the financial impact of remote patient monitoring in your practice or whatever the case might be. So our, we're empowering reps with all this data that heretofore, like they've never been able to have. They can see what he's interested in before they ever have to go in and have a conversation. Right. And I know we're going to uh, talk about 
the digital avenues, and you've sort of referred to a couple of them, like LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. But when you look like yep. when you look across this uh, slide here, and you talk about the micro-targeting list created. I mean, some people are thinking, well, oh, I need to go out and buy a list of these doctors, or I need to buy a database that um, because buying lists, I think, is a bad idea. But there are some database companies that really do have a good product. Um, where you can get some pretty tight information on what a doctor is doing, what procedures they're involved in, and so on, plus their contact information. But what's the difference between like a so-called list and then you know creating a a description on Facebook that helps Facebook go out and reach the right people? What's the difference there? Yeah, yeah, good, good question. All of the social channels, I talk about Facebook, same is true for LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, you name it. They have built-in algorithms that will allow a marketer to attach you know, a, a particular profile to an email address. And so to get really tactical, if we can build a list of the 8,000 email addresses associated with the urologists in the United States, we can actually use Facebook to find those folks and then create, create that, that universe of people we're targeting. And so what you're actually able to do is say, hey, look, I have that list. I want to market to these 8,000 urologists. So when you turn on those campaigns, you're not marketing urological products to 330 million people in the United States. You're only targeting those 8,000 people. And so what that allows you to do is it allows you to be really, really effective in terms of when your marketing is going out, it's going to your target market. Uh, there's a couple of benefits. Number one, it allows you to have much lower ad budgets uh, and still get really positive results. And number two, when you actually have a lead come out the back end, which is at the end of the day, like that's, that's really kind of what folks want to see. When you have a lead come out the back end, you already know that it's qualified. You already know that, hey, this is a urologist in Des Moines, Iowa. And it prevents the burnout that we commonly see when you're talking about doing marketing initiatives in the medical space, which is I go, you know, I, I just think about this. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time in trade shows uh, as I'm sure we all have. Right. Yeah. And you end up with like a thousand leads coming back from the trade show. And then you start doling them out and realize, well, you know, these are all international docs that, you know, aren't, aren't good fits for our sales team. And, you ask yourself, like, what's the ROI of a trade show? You're not, you're not getting qualified leads, and you're, as soon as you hand a lead to a rep, the rep's going to be like, this guy doesn't even want to talk to me. Like, I, I know who this guy is, or I don't have a clue who this guy is, and so I'm not going to waste my time on that. If you've done the pre-qualification up front, then what you're able to do is you can actually say, hey, look, we know that this is a urologist in Des Moines, Iowa. You need to give him a call, and it gives you as as a, a sales leader or a marketing leader or CEO of a company, whatever the case might be, it gives you more authority to say, hey, what are we doing with these qualified leads? Because we pre-qualified them to go and make them happen. Uh, so that's, that's what we would think about in terms of how you're doing your targeting and, and the importance of making sure that you do build that list, whether it's from a, a database or uh, other techniques that, that may be utilized to get that qualified data. So you would use a list to help um, a digital platform, let's say Facebook, yep. target those particular people. And so what's the difference between just, okay, I've got this list. I'll send out a blast email 
or two or three versus uh, using Facebook? Yeah, so so I don't know how many emails you get on a daily basis, Ted. I, I get a lot, and yeah. I open like zero percent of the cold emails. Like I just I just don't do it, and I think most people are like that. Really, what we're doing is um, th- this is this is giving a um, a prospect the opportunity to choose to engage with our content, and uh, as opposed to me basically showing up and being like, read my email. This is what's important to me. And it's just, it's a, it's a different feel. They're walking towards you instead of you walking towards them. And admittedly, right. I understand a lot of folks are probably listening. They're like, gosh, that sounds really hard. I don't want to let go of the, let go of the wheel, but, but that's what, that's what, that's what your prospects want. They want to be in control. They are by definition, somebody goes through medical school Somebody picks a specialty, right? Somebody spends all their, their time and energy focusing on taking care of patients in fill-in-the-blank space. They care about your products to the extent that it helps their practice. So you need to do them the service to earn the right to be able to have that sales opportunity to show them how you fit into their practice and how you help them. And we all know this. Like This is, this is stuff we all know is you need to help them, and then they're going to become loyal customers of you. And so okay. what the Facebook platforms – oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, well, my next question would be, if we're taking that approach, and I I see the logic of that, I assume that there's some data that supports the approach of, you know, targeting the people in in a digital platform like Facebook versus just hammering them with emails. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's about people's engagement. And, you know, if you look at, um, uh, what's happened over sort of the past year and a half, we've seen email open rates and email engagement rates for cold email drop like a rock because everybody's basically trying to stuff that channel, right? They've come in and they're like, well, here's my opportunity. And so that engagement rates have dropped precipitously there. We've seen the opposite on, um, on the social channel. So Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, those are really kind of your big three as you think about marketing to, um, both a clinical or a non-clinical audience. Maybe you're going after RevCycle or something like that. Um, we see those numbers going up. And um, it's going up because they're able to do it on their own terms. Mm-hmm. And then once you establish a relationship there, then the email conversation becomes much easier, right? You can, you, you've earned that right to follow up with them. But it's that cold email stuff that really just nobody likes. Like, I don't know anybody who loves to get a bunch of spam. Okay. So you've, uh, so we've, We've got a group targeted. We've got a digital platform helping us out with this. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about the difference between the digital platforms? Because then I want to move into your the area of like the outreach campaigns and the customized microsites, because I think that's really interesting too. But um, what are your feelings about the different digital platforms? Do they have a, a strengths or weaknesses for different purposes? Uh, yeah, they, they do. And, um, I would describe it as you should, first of all, we get asked regularly, like, what's the right platform? And um, the answer is all of them. And so maybe it's not, maybe it's not, you may not do everyone. You may not be advertising on TikTok or Pinterest or whatever, but, but the reality is it's less about the platform in terms of your, your overall marketing strategy. It's less about picking one platform and more about understanding where are your customers Right? Because at the end of the day, you want to be in front of your customers and your prospects. And so if they're on Facebook, you want to be on Facebook. If they're on LinkedIn, you want to be on LinkedIn and Twitter and so on and so forth. 
what I'll tell you is they, they do have different jobs. Far and away, and again, this is a lot of people have a hard time when I say this, but the best platform for medical marketing, marketing towards doctors, you name it, uh, is Facebook, hands okay. down, unquestionably. Like there's, there's no question. Um, and the reason being is just because of how, you, how ubiquitous and how broadly used the platform is. We're all on Facebook or Instagram, uh, right? The vast majority of people. And, and the fastest growing segment of Facebook users are people that are uh, basically, you know, over the age of 60. So if you think about folks that are, you know, in their you know, 40 and above, these are the people that are using Facebook. And these are the people that you probably want to be selling to. So they're there. As you think about a platform like LinkedIn, it does really well in a business context. So if, you're, if your uh, prospect is a vice president of finance, VP of RevCycle, you know, that sort of thing, as opposed to a, a doctor, LinkedIn is a great tool. Um, you can get great organic following on LinkedIn, just kind of the way the algorithm works. You can go, you know, quote unquote, viral a little bit more easily on LinkedIn than you can on Facebook. So that's really what your, your strategy is there if you have a, a more of a business audience. LinkedIn's not as effective for the, clinic, the clinical audience. So if you have cardiologists as your audience, you're really not going to be spending a lot of time on LinkedIn. Something like Twitter is um, an effective platform when it comes to sort of the brand awareness and the thought leadership of what you're doing. So in the three tiers of marketing you should be doing, in fact, I'll just kind of jump down here, I'll show you. Like there's kind of three tiers of marketing you want to be thinking about, top, middle, and bottom of the funnel, right? Brand awareness and thought leadership. You need to know who I am and you need to trust me as an expert in my field. Twitter is great for that because people are getting on there. It's more of a news type of a, right? People get on for news and current events, that sort of thing. So that plays well. Um, it's not as good for conversions. Let me schedule a sales demo or that sort of thing. So that's kind of where that fits in. Um, and then the final piece is uh, YouTube, right? We haven't spent a lot of time talking about that. But YouTube is a great platform for um, for longer videos. So think, you know, not your quick 30-second snippet ads, although that works well, but putting a three- to five-minute video out there as a, as a leader into a video of interest. Um, people, people go to YouTube because they want to watch a video. So if you have good videos on how the product works or testimonials, that sort of thing, you can use a platform like YouTube, again, for that brand awareness and thought leadership piece. So that's how, that's how these pieces all come together. Um, but, but just to kind of put a final point on it, it's, it's not about one over the other. It's about how do you make sure you have the right assets so that all of them are functioning in a way that you are everywhere that your prospects are looking. Again, you can do it on a relatively cost-effective basis, and that's how you get the level of visibility that you know, small and mid-sized companies that are really trying to break through can do so. So that's, that's how you approach the, the channels. Okay. And I, I have heard that LinkedIn is somewhat expensive on a cost per impression versus Facebook. It is. Yeah. So typically cost per impression as well as cost per lead is about three times uh, what you see on Facebook. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the rough number, um, which, you know, if, if you think about it, you know, we're talking about a cost per lead of a hundred bucks versus, you know, call it, 75 bucks versus 250 bucks, right? So that's, yeah. that's the kind of difference that you're talking about. If the lifetime value of a customer is $100,000, like that's a rounding error. Like we're, we're, we really shouldn't get too caught up on that. I think overall for, the, for most medical technologies, I put software in there as well, 
as well as you know, traditional medical devices, the, the lifetime value of adding one new customer is big. And so as a result, we traditionally, you know, as an industry, under leverage or under fund marketing because we see the dollars are like, ah, $225 for a lead, that's a lot. But if you think about the likelihood of closing that is, call it even 5%, and the lifetime value is $100,000, man, we should be doing that all day long. Like that's, you know, the, it, the numbers are de minimis relative to the value that we get out of it. Right. Okay. Okay. I, I would agree with that. But somebody, if somebody was on some kind of a budget, you could swing it yep. and lean it to something less expensive if you had to. So oh, yeah. yep. if we, if we um, talk again about what is it when you do a digital campaign, what kind of content are you presenting to somebody? So somebody's in there floating around Facebook looking at their a post that their brother or sister or good friend put down and suddenly yeah. this suddenly this advertisement is there in the in yep. on the side. What what are they seeing? So they're gonna typically see one of three types of campaigns. Right? The first campaign, when we think about sort of top of the funnel type stuff, it'll be Oh by the way, do we want the, how, do we do we still want the slides up now or I'll, I'll, I'll take them down. It doesn't matter. Okay. Um, it's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Um, now I see, I see you you're bigger, which is great. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, what I tell you is, you know, they may be seeing a video right? talking of showing the product in use or uh, a, a physician testimonial, that sort of thing. Uh, so something to catch their attention and kind of build up that brand awareness. Uh, they may be seeing an invitation to uh, download a white paper or attend a webinar, right? Some sort of content, you know, knowledge share type thing. Uh, or they may be seeing ads to say, hey, let's schedule a sales conversation. A lot of that, again, if you've set it up correctly, they may be seeing all of those, you know, some of those and, and cycling through different things. But, but it's intended to get an action on the device. We know that people are on their phones. Like you said, when you're watching uh, TV, you're, you're on your device to scroll through Facebook or checking your email or whatever the case might be. So when they see ads, it's typically going to be one of those three things. Are we building brand awareness? Are we getting more thought leadership? Or ultimately, are we getting people to say, yes, give me a call tomorrow morning and I'll, I'd like to talk about buying this stuff. Okay. What seems to be, of, of those types of messages, what seems to be most effective, um, especially if now you've sort of leaned into somebody's Facebook feed and and they're seeing you? Is it content to generate awareness and then bring them into a microsite where they can show greater interest? Yeah. So typically what we like to do is share content with them and then, you know, have, let them download a white paper or whatever. So they see an ad to like learn the greatest things that are going on in your industry today. Um, and so they go to a microsite to download that white paper and then from there turn on the, the, the conversion ads, the, the, lead, the lead capabilities. Because that way we know that, hey, they've downloaded this white paper they're probably really interested in the topic. So let's figure out how we, how we actually get them to schedule a sales demo. Um, but, but what I would tell you, Ted, is, again, you don't want to do one or the other. It's more about making sure that you have multiple doors for someone to come in where we're going to drive them to a microsite so they can engage with us. Because, you know, once we get them to a microsite, we can also start to do the, that sort of retargeting that we talked about uh, on multiple platforms. So, um, yeah, so when we, we have a new, new company we work with, we're going to run multiple types of things to see what this particular audience is interested in. 
uh, and then refine that over time. Okay, so you're, you might run three different types of messages, but you're refining it, you're assessing the response to the messages, and then mm-hmm. you know, taking further action down the, down the line. Um, yep. So you talk about a microsite. Is that the same thing as a landing page? Yeah, I would describe it uh, between a micro uh, between a la- so a microsite basically falls between a landing page, which is typically pretty sparse, and it's just like give us your information, and your main site. So, kind of one of the one of the don't dos when it comes to uh, to doing this is you don't want to send somebody to the main page of your website. Right. Like that's the wrong answer, because because what happens is they get on and they see all these different things I can click on, and they're gone before they ever share their information. So. Yeah, that's, that's wasted dollars. The difference between a landing page, so a landing page tends to be you just want to get somebody to come in and give you the information and then leave. Um, but you're not doing a lot of explaining and a lot of sort of um, trust building on that, on that landing page. So uh, what a microsite does is it brings in more of the, you're doing more explaining, you're building more, more trust, you're sharing more information about the product or service on the page to again try to build that that buy into yes I want to move down this buying journey with company X. Okay. And so is a microsite an actual sub website of some type so when if they click on if if they if they're in Facebook they see this little ad or this invitation to to get some content that's interesting mm-hmm. they they click on that um, so they click on that and now they're taken to a microsite, but that microsite's going to pop up in their um, browser on their phone, their tablet, or their computer. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's right. Okay. Or um, if you're if you're operating on certain platforms like Facebook, we'll actually run them in the Facebook app, and so your your microsite will pop up in a browser inside Facebook, so they don't actually have to leave the the application, which um, oh. Is preferable from it, yeah. So that's that, that works out pretty well because it, it makes it so it's easier to track what's going on and, and how people interact and that sort of thing. Okay. Okay. So they go to the microsite, gives them some more information, and it invites them to share some of their own information, like self-identify. Yeah, exactly. So so typically, what you'll see on a, a microsite is you're also going to have some sort of a form fill. So share your information with us so we can, if you want to learn more about the product or whatever the case might be, that's customizable. So you may come in, if you're dealing with a clinical specialty that has a lot of subspecialties to it, you can actually qualify people like, hey, right, you're here. Basically, you wouldn't say this, but like if it's a cardiologist, you may want to ask like, do you have a subspecialty? Are you focused in on EP? Are you focused in on interventional? Like what's your area of focus? Um, And you can put surveys on them. I mean, there's a lot of flexibility in terms of what you can do on a microsite um, to get the right information to, again, qualify folks to help them, you know, see that this, this fits for them and helps you get more and more information. Okay. And then when this information is coming in, we've sort of talked about this before, or it's been implied in our conversation, is that Dr. Jones is on Facebook he sees this interesting content. He clicks on it. He goes to a microsite where there's some additional information. So the minute he goes to the microsite, is 
are you now tracking him from the standpoint of uh, CRM or does he have to take some further action? So you can watch him as a, we have this concept of suspects and prospects right. in, um, in marketing language. So suspect is somebody who is a, in this case, a qualified cardiologist, but we don't know that it's Dr. John Smith, right? So he'd be a suspect. You can track him through most CRMs, most of your, most of your sort of robust CRMs, um, even when he's a suspect. So it's identifying the you know, unique ID of the device or the computer or whatever the case might be. So you can see him as he kind of goes through your virtual world. And then once he says, hey, I'm John Smith, then it will actually tie back all the things that, that he's done in the past. So you can say, hey, these are all the things that John Smith has done. So, yeah, so that's, that's essentially what you're, what you're doing. And just to clarify it for the listeners, what you mean by everything that he's done, you're talking about you can tie it back to all the activity he's had on your website um, so you can actually see what his greatest interests might have been or what he's downloaded or the videos he's watched or, or other papers he's read, whatever, correct? That's right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then you could, you could score his interest level. Yeah, absolutely. So lead right. scoring is a, is a, a very common thing to do. So you can, you can come in and you can see like, okay, well, who's interested and, and uh, you know, what are they interested in? That sort of thing. One of the things that we find from this type of an approach, uh, which is, again, different than how we've operated as an industry in the past, I, I think about when we launched the you know, we launched products at Medtronic, you know, we put the product in the rep's hands, and I mean, we all know exactly what happens. They go to their friendliest you know, surgeons or you know, doctors, whatever the case might be, and they say, you know, give it to them first, and then they sort of slowly work their way out to um, you know, more and more people, but it's, it's a slower process. One of the things that we've seen when it comes to healthcare innovation is it's not always the people that you expect who are hungriest to adopt a given product or service into a, um, into their practice. And so there's been a bit of a, you know, this type of an approach allows you to democratize healthcare innovation and really have the people who are most interested in the technology actually be the, the first ones and the, allow them to stand in the front of the line and say, gosh, give me this. I can't, I can't believe that I haven't had this before. Right. And, and so that's the kind of thing that you're able to do with this approach. And the reason why that's important is uh, we had a, a, a concept, a term when I was back at Covidian Medtronic around um, time to peak revenue. So this concept of time to peak revenue is how long does it take for me to get to, you know, full penetration or as much penetration as I'm going to get. And I want to make that as short as possible. Well, if you have a certain audience of people that are just really hungry for this product and all of a sudden they're, they're able to jump to the front of the, front of the line to adopt it fully in their practice. And, you know, as opposed to being 15th in the, you know, in the queue that they would have been in to the traditional approach, your time to peak revenue and the amount of money you can make in a very short period of time goes up significantly. So it's that sort of, um, uh, development that you can have when you're taking this type of an approach as opposed to right, the, the way that we were doing it um, in the past where you know, we had to go through our friends and then we went to the people that kind of like us and then we eventually work our way out to these folks that maybe in the outer fringes that, that we may not have that relationship already with. Right. Okay. Okay. So let's see. I'm just thinking through that slide because I, I really wanted to talk about the, the microsites versus landing page. And then um, 
And then we end up being able to determine a person's level of interest. And that information goes into the CRM. And then from the CRM, and I don't know if you do this, do you ever link clients to like, or help them with sequences and, or cadences with whatever you want to call them. They're the same thing. Do you help them with that? That is actually generated from the CRM. As we think about what it looks like to, um, to build a, a pipeline. So it's, you're, you're trying to understand the entire buyer's journey. So right when we're working with a company, yes, you, you need to make sure you have kind of the three big things that, that touch the prospects in line. So number one is the ads, right? So you you built your list, you got your 8,000 urologist or 30,000 cardiologist, whatever it is. And then you're running your ad campaigns. And those ad campaigns, right, are targeted and, and specific in the language, that sort of thing. And then um, you take them to a microsite. And again, that's, that's dialed into what they care about, the language that they use. And then, yes, the last piece is absolutely marketing automation. So when Dr. John Smith shows his level of interest, you're then going to going to set up marketing automation through their CRM. So maybe using Salesforce or HubSpot or you know, Pipedrive or you name it. So you're, you're going to have these sequences that are going out. Again, using their language consistent with what they've seen on the microsites and the, um, uh, the ad campaigns so that it feels like uh, one consistent uh, flow all the way through and it just feels right as opposed to being kind of jerky in that. So yeah, we absolutely do that um, as a part of the, the work that we do for, for our clients. Okay. And so that Cadence, let's say if, if the doctor has shown interest in product A, he might get, you know, you he might get a an email that said, You downloaded this, hope you enjoyed it. Here's another piece of information you might find interesting. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Or yeah. and then maybe an invitation to talk to a, a sales rep or to attend a webinar that has some you know, key opinion leaders, whatever. Exactly. And if you want to think about it, email marketing is essentially free marketing, right? So you've got that email address of Dr. Smith. He's shown some level of interest. By all means, you need to be, if you're doing a webinar and you want to run ad campaigns about the webinar, you should also be running marketing automation email sequences to Dr. Smith and everybody else who's shown interest to say, hey, we thought you might be interested in this. Why don't you go ahead and register, right? Take them. Then you, again, you take them, have a link in there that takes them to a microsite uh, that talks about the the webinar and, and gets them engaged. And it's just, you know, once somebody's in the system, you want to talk to them until they tell you to leave you alone. And okay. um, <laughs> right, so that's kind of how you how you ought to be how you ought to be thinking about it. Okay. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. Have we missed anything here? I'm looking at my notes and questions. We need to come back to the case study. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we've covered I feel like we've covered a fair amount of um, of what we had talked about before. The, I guess the the one thing that we really haven't talked about is what does it look like to take a first step, right? Okay. And again, you and I have known each other for a while, and I'm a I'm a pretty tactical guy. Like I'd, I'd like to to get into what does it take. And so here's what I would tell you is, you know, an appropriate first step. If somebody says, "Hey, this is interesting," you know, first of all, give me a call. I'm happy to give you some pointers and that sort of thing. The other thing I'd say is, if you wanted to try it on your own, number one is take some time and outside of the sales context, actually talk to your prospects about what do they care about? What are the value propositions related to um, the kinds of things that you're providing? What are the things that they're concerned about? Do it not just to your friends, but also do it to people that are not using your product, right? We all have those, those friendly folks that aren't using our stuff. So that's number one. 
And then number two is think about how do you, how do you build a, a targeted list? And then how do you figure out what channels that they're on? Um, as, as business people, we love LinkedIn because that's, that's sort of the social network for, uh, for business folks. But can we actually, um, is that where our, our, our customers are? And if so, great. If not, then you know, where are they? And then try just putting some simple ads out there and see what kind of engagement you get. Um, it doesn't have to be super complex, but you know, put put some budget towards seeing if people are going to click on ads. You know, throw up a video of you know how your product is in use and see what kind of engagement you get. If you're you know targeting the right people, you should get some engagement, and it'll at least be a starting point to then allow you to figure out how do you get better and better, and how do you add on from from there to to add additional capabilities. Sure. Okay. Good advice. And why don't we go back to your case study? What happened with this uh, cardiology company? Yeah. So, um, so basically, like I said, international company came to the United States. Uh, it was interesting because we had some discussions about what are the right channels to market on. They they're used to a very different environment where it's basically the the high level cardiologists are are you know business folks and that sort of thing, and so. They really wanted to run on LinkedIn. We said, yes, that's nice. Let's add some other uh, platforms. We ended up on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and um, a display ad network, like banner ads, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, so we, we ran some campaigns. And the short version is a couple of big takeaways. Number one, it was incredibly effective. I mean, we had, you know, 100 doctors in the first 90 days ask for product demonstrations. Wow. And I think part of that is due to, yeah, I mean, it, was, I mean, it really blew away the numbers in terms of what we anticipated. So what... And I think that there's something there in terms of the value of the product, but it was also right the, the channel and reaching out to these folks in a new way. So we saw that the, the tactical success. The other thing that it allowed us to do is we ran, we actually ran to cardiologists, but we also marketed to a, uh, a group of internal medicine folks and a group of fi- uh, family practice, PCPs. And what we, what we saw was it was actually the internal medicine and the PCPs that were most interested in the product. And so as a result, they were able to pivot their strategy to focus in on particularly the concierge medicine folks that were really quite interested in adopting this in for remote patient monitoring. And that changed their entire sales approach. So those were kind of the two big takeaways that we had is, I guess, three things. Number one is we got revenue. Number two is we helped to figure out what the right segment was, the right specialty was to go after. And then number three was focusing in on um, what do we, you know, how does this change their business model, which uh, ultimately did and, and made them, again, pretty darn, pretty darn successful from our terms. And it was easy to test those other market segments because it was economical. Yeah, exactly. You didn't yeah, have I to mean, send a sales force about- out and wait for three months for all the data to come back as they are pounding on doors. Yeah, I mean, th- think about how much time it would take if you're a, if you're a smaller company, right, and you're trying to figure out, like, hey, who's, who's going to buy our product? Yeah, you could run campaigns on these channels and in 90 days have a tremendous wealth of data as opposed to, you know, to do the same thing in sort of the physical world. You're going to end up having to, you know, spend a year, right? And if we think about what it looks like, you know, from a, a funding cycle standpoint and a job security standpoint, if you're ahead of sales and you don't quite know who's going to buy your stuff, um, you would rather do that in 90 days. You'd rather figure that out in 90 days than 360. So, yeah, that's, this is a great opportunity to do live market research uh, where, you know, if it goes well, you get revenue on the back end. 
as opposed to um, right, knocking on doors and hoping that you figure it out or um, running market research that's divor- you know, separated from revenue generation. And then, you know, then you have to kind of start from scratch from that point. Okay. And then on, in this particular campaign, which digital uh, piece ended up working the best? It had the greatest Facebook. Facebook. So Facebook ended up Facebook. being yeah, crushed it. Hands oh, really? down. Unquestionably. Yeah. Yeah. It was wow. so much, it's so much more effective. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's great. I love it. That's actually a great case study, especially the twist yeah. at the end where you end up in different market segments and it helps the company take a different direction. They could have, they could have burned through all their cash and trying to learn that lesson and never yep. learned it until it was too late, you know, and then they'd be asking exactly. out raising more money or something. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you, yeah, this is just the speed with which you can do great things on in digital. If you set it up right, it's just, it's, it's so much faster and so much more effective than what we've ever had available to us. So that's really what we're, what we're all about is figuring out how do you, um, how do you make sure that you're actually able to, to learn these things in a short period of time? And like you said, not have to do that extra race. Right, right. For listeners, there'll be links in the show notes. Of course, there'll be links to uh, Gyrus Micromarketing and your mm-hmm. LinkedIn profile, Scott. So I'll have those in there. Yep. And with that, I'll we'll wrap it up. This has really been great. I've really enjoyed this. We you shared a lot of interesting information, and I think we've really put the plug in for a different kind of marketing that's very effective, very fast and deals with people 24 seven. Yep, exactly. Well, Ted, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, thanks for the listeners for listening to this point and I hope everybody has a great day. You bet. The fact that digital marketing is so effective shouldn't be surprising because we experience it every day as consumers on the internet. The case study that Scott shared is telling. With micromarketing, a company was able to quickly get vital feedback on its value proposition and data that helped them pivot in strategy. Just as important was the immediate revenues they generated. To do the same thing with a traditional marketing campaign supporting a sales effort would have taken much longer and cost time and money. So consider how you can incorporate digital marketing or if we want to call it physician micromarketing and marketing automation at your company. Thanks again for listening today. Now go win your week. <laughs>